Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode number two of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to learn how to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent of that. I'm very excited about my guest today and the topic we're going to be covering. And joining me today is Gordon Graham, also known as That White Paper Guy, and author of the newly published book, White Papers for Dummies. I've known Gordon for many years, about eight, nine years now. He's been an invaluable resource for me on writing white papers, and he's one of the most knowledgeable people out there on that topic. He's personally written almost 200 white papers on everything from designing virtual worlds for kids to how to select a document management system for billion-dollar engineering projects. Gordon has taught writing at two universities and in-house at many firms, including Cisco, Ericsson, and Sprint. His book, White Papers for Dummies, as I said, just came out a few weeks ago. And if you write white papers for a living, or even if it's something that you're considering, this is a must-have book and reference guide. You can find it at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I have a lot of questions for Gordon on the business of writing white papers. So I'm actually doing a two-part series with him. And in today's session, we're going to start by talking about white papers themselves and uh, what are they, where and how are they used, who uses them, how long are white papers, and why do they continue to be so popular. We're then going to move into the opportunity. Uh, so specifically, is this a dying fad or is this still a strong trend? What kind of future does Gordon see for white papers? What industries publish them? And what industries represent the hottest white paper opportunities for writers? Uh, we're going to get into how much to charge for white papers, uh, if you can really make a good living just writing white papers or writing mostly white papers. Um, we're going to talk about clients and how they view white paper writers and if they really are struggling to find white paper writers. Uh, Gordon's even going to tell you a little bit about what Google, which is one of his clients, had to say about white paper writers and what they look for in a white paper writer. And then we're going to wrap it up with this whole issue of what happens if you're just starting out and you have no white paper samples. So that chicken and egg scenario, what do you do? Where do you get started? Anyway, I think you're going to find this very valuable. I hope you enjoy this two-part series. Let's get right to it. Gordon, it's super to have you here. Great. Thanks for uh, asking. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I never told you this, but I'm, I'm actually kind of a, not actually, I, I'm, I'm really a, a fan of yours and been a big fan of yours for years, probably before you even knew who I was. I was like stalking you because back oh, really? in, this is back, right? <laughs> when, when nobody was really talking about white paper writing, you're one of the few. And I'm talking about 2003, 2002. Um, and you're the only one out there who seemed to have any information about white paper so i would i would print out your information and study it and highlight it and try to you know kind of make sense out of this whole world of white papers and uh so i've, I've been stalking you for for years you probably never even knew that <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it's this is a true honor to be speaking with you because again i mean you're one of the guys who's been 
doing this and writing about this and thinking about this whole field of white papers for so long um, that um, it's it's um, it's one of those fields that even though we've come a long way, there's still not a ton of information out there when it comes to white paper writing. Um, and, and, you know, we should probably start there, right? Let's talk about white papers for those people who are not very familiar with the term or are still wondering what they are. I mean, what is a white paper technically? How would you describe it? Well, a white paper is a form of marketing document. It's 98% B2B. So they're not the sort of things you see as a consumer. They're the sort of things you see in a business when you're going to make a, a, a big expensive purchase. And uh, so they're they're generally six to eight pages long, and they're what I call a persuasive essays. They use they use facts and uh, logic to um, promote a certain point of view or a certain offering from a certain vendor. So they're definitely promotional, but they 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 kind of straddle two different fields. That's what makes them so challenging. They they have to explain and offer useful information as this at the same time as they persuade and promote a certain uh, a certain type of product. So um, I, I really have a mantra for white papers where I say uh, an effective white paper has to help a business reader to understand an issue, solve a problem, or make a decision. That's really um, the goal of a, of a good white paper. I like that. That makes sense. So it's kind of it falls into this educational marketing realm. Yeah, yeah, or marketing with content. But I, I consider white papers the king of content because they're really – pretty well the longest and the most challenging to produce and the um, most long-lasting. They, they can be um, – I have clients that have had white papers I've written online for seven years, you know, and they continue to generate leads. So um, there, very few types of content work as hard for as long as a, as a good white paper. So they, they really are intended to help a B2B companies kind of build their – recognition, build their mind share, generate leads, engage prospects, uh, uh, undercut competitors, and ultimately uh, help to close sales. And they can do that for years. So in, in how are they used? So obviously, this is what they're intended to do. And this is what they when they're used correctly, this is what they can achieve. But how are they used? Well, um, I've been thinking lately, as I was writing my book, I was thinking about the, uh, the so-called sales funnel, you know, where yeah, at the top you've got uh, the universe of, uh, of possible prospects and then your, your goal as a marketer is to draw people into your sales funnel and then uh, engage them and nurture them and bring them down through the funnel and then ultimately have them drip out the bottom as, uh, as customers. And um, the classic use of white papers is at the top of the funnel to generate leads. But as I as I thought about that, uh, I realized that white papers can be used just about anywhere in the funnel. The classic use is at the top of the funnel. You you write a white paper that helps uh, that helps someone understand the problem that your product is solving, and then you put that out there um, on the web and you get some good keywords for it. And then people searching for that problem will come across uh, a link to your white paper, hopefully be interested and, and click and download it and read it and, uh, and be impressed with the uh, good advice you're giving. That's, the, that's sort of the, the most common use of a white paper. But there, there, also, there are different types that, that can be used at different points in the, in the funnel. And once you've got a prospect engaged, you can continue to um, nurture that 
uh, lead or nurture that prospect um, by continuing to offer them good content and and uh, some of the the most meaty content and the most engaging content you can offer is a is a white paper as they go down the sales funnel. And then towards the bottom, often companies, uh, well, mo well, most companies. Uh, Draw up a short list of vendors when they're making a uh, uh, when they're making an expensive buy. This is called a complex sale. Um, so a complex sale is really uh, a, an expensive purchase that it touches a lot of different areas of a company. Say it's something like uh, you know it could be as prosaic as buying a new phone system, or mm -hmm. it could be something much more future oriented, oriented like uh, putting part of their business online. Um, Whatever whatever it is, it's something that's very expensive, it's very complicated, it's going to take some time to figure out, and more often than not, it's quite a new, quite a new innovative um, idea that the uh, that a company's trying to trying to implement. So white papers are great for doing uh, for explaining uh, those kind of things and for justifying uh, the cost of investing in something like that. But at towards the bottom of that of the funnel, towards the end of the sales cycle, what most companies will do is have a short list of vendors, two or three vendors on it, and they'll need to really start doing a head-to-head -head comparison. So at that point, they generally will um, name somebody from the company. Um, to do a technical evaluation or a business case or a cost-benefit analysis, some, some real head-to-head -head, um, comparison of the remaining vendors that they're most interested in. And this is when a, uh, this is towards the bottom of the sales funnel, but this is when white papers can be very useful um, that late in the process as well, when you can when you offer a, the kind of information that will help a technical evaluator size up your product or a kind of cost uh, um, justification that will help them see the benefits, the gains that they'll make by, uh, by buying your product. So that's an example of the kind of white paper that works deep down in the funnel. So you're seeing basically everything from lead generation to when somebody is, is engaged with the vendor, uh, all the way down to the shortlisted a few and they're trying to make a final decision and they need some more specific information. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've, I've experienced the same thing where <clears throat> the bulk of the ones you see tend to be at the top of the funnel, but there are a lot of opportunities to uh, write white papers for clients that are further down you know, mm -hmm. once they've engaged with prospects. So then, you know, th th that brings up something else. Uh, obviously, white papers have been around for a long time. There's always been a lot of talk about white papers and how popular they are. But, I mean, do you, do you think this is a dying fad? I mean, is this hype or is there really a huge demand to create uh, white papers and, and for, companies, uh, to, for, for companies who are on the buying end uh, really well, demanding I more white papers? It's 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 a great question. It's really um, I'm I'm almost amused by this because almost every day I'll see some discussion or tweet or or a question on on LinkedIn or something about uh, our white papers dying, our white papers dying, and uh, um, you get a lot of uh, people that will come on and say, uh, oh yeah, they're so well, nobody reads anymore. You know, nobody reads. Everybody we just they just want to watch video and uh, and uh, do use social media. That's how. That's what everybody wants. Yeah. yeah. But these these discussions are so kind of sloppy because um, what you what you want 
in your personal life, as you just graduated out of college and you want your work experience to be a lot like going to college may not necessarily be what your employer wants, you know, and um, I think there's a bit of a generational divide there, but I certainly like going to YouTube. I, I certainly like uh, watching videos, but I have seen this firsthand and I have talked to many, many, many people in um, businesses who are, who are, have to um, do a complex uh, purchase they can't get away with watching videos or reading some tweets or uh, you know looking at an infographic. If if the if they're a vice president of a company um, or a C level executive of a, of a company uh, about to spend you know a million dollars uh, or maybe bet the future of a division of the company, they got to do some serious homework. You know they have to do some reading and it's it's a little different asking people, well what what do you like? than asking people, well, what do you actually have to do on the job um, and when you're in that position to uh, spend that kind of money? And and I, I think most of the people, I got to give credit to the the people making noise about social media. They they know how to make noise. It's incredible, you know. But, uh, but when you get right down to it, uh, no top executive of a company um, is making serious business discussions based on a reading a few tweets or or you know watching a few videos it's it may be an enjoyable way to to package information but if you're if you're i don't know how else to say it if you're if you're spending a lot of somebody else's money in a company um you have to do your homework and and white papers are the ultimate way to provide that kind of research material for people making a making a serious uh decision so you know, I get people every single day coming to me uh, from all different sizes of companies. So they could be startups. You, you pretty much a, a white paper is pretty much a must-do item uh, on the checklist for any kind of uh, technical um, or innovative startup these days. That's in the B two B audience. You know, um, market. You just you just can't start a B two B company without having at least one white paper that explains what you're trying to do. Then at the other end of the spectrum, these massive companies uh, like uh, Google, Oracle, HP, Microsoft, Apple, they're putting out white papers all the time. Yes, even Apple puts out white papers. Hard to believe, eh? They put mm -hmm. out, uh, I've seen a white paper from Apple about uh, using um, using the iPad in um, the medical uh, medical sites, you know, and uh, there's a, a white paper from Apple about the security provisions of uh, of using uh, iPads in uh, in business. So when there's something when there's something serious and uh, complicated to communicate to a to a business buyer who's got to make a big decision, uh, uh, white papers are are needed. And there's another way to look at it. Okay, there's another way I can answer this. I, I don't mean to be too long-winded about this, but it kind of pushes my one of my buttons, you know. When, <laughs> I because, figured it would. That's why I asked yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I've been following these things. You know, um, I've been doing some research, and 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 uh, white papers are more than a hundred years old. They were they started in uh, England, um, as basically as government publications, where the uh, the government had two um, categories of documents, and they kept getting them mixed up. So then they started putting uh, different covers on them. So they had these blue covers on these on the um, documents that were actual legislation or uh, or things that uh, that uh, the government had actually done and then they had 
white covers on these things that were more research reports or studies or possibilities or uh, or trial balloons, you know. And the um, some of these uh, so-called white papers were really really good um, summaries about whole industry. So I've I've seen some of these. I'm trying to get it back as far as I can. They the original uh, very very early precursors of these were something like 1880, 1870, 1880, 1890. I've seen PDFs of ones that have been scanned in the in the British archives from 1907, 1906. And at that point, they started to be called white papers. And what happened was uh, they would do a white paper about a certain industry in, uh, in uh, the UK. And all the people in that industry, the leaders of that industry, would look at this and say, gee, that's pretty informative. I didn't know all that. That's pretty neat. Gee, um, maybe we should do something like that to help our customers understand things. So the companies picked up this idea and started producing their own documents that were kind of modeled after these really informative reports that the British government had done. So, uh, you know, fast forward uh, about 50 years, these became like sort of classic um, business reports that uh, companies would do. And fortunately, since the 50s, they have evolved quickly and become much more interesting and much more visual and more colorful and shorter. And uh, um, they're, a, they're a venerable, what I'm saying is they're a venerable uh, document form, which just makes a lot of sense. They're factual. They're not um, fluffy. They're not salesy. They're not trying to they're not trying to, you know, use those copywriters' um, uh, tools of making you making you feel something, making you uh, feel uh, fear or uh, what are the two things f that drive the stock market? Fear it's and greed. Fear and fear and greed. Yeah, yeah. They're not trying to make you feel uh, fear and greed. They're trying to make you feel. They're trying to make you understand something or make a decision about something based on on you know concrete information. So. If we look into the future, will companies continue to need that? Gee, I think they probably will. You know, um, white papers are ideal for a vendor that has uh, something relatively new to sell, something relatively expensive to sell, something relatively complex to sell. Do you think in the future there are going to be new, expensive, complex products and services? Uh, yeah, I think there probably will be. That's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah I is. think there probably will be. And do you think there'll be uh, prospective buyers that will need information to decide uh, which ones to pick? Yeah, I think there probably will be. You know, so since we've got this venerable form that solves that problem that that you can tick off all of those boxes with, why would we say it's dying? You know. Um, it's similar to whenever there's a new media form, right? So uh, if if you look at it, uh, um, radio was supposed to kill off the telegraph, right? And then TV was supposed to kill off radio, and then the internet was supposed, or cable was supposed to kill off the um, networks, and then the internet was supposed to kill off TV and uh, and print, you know. And but really, what happens is each new media just sort of jostles and nestles its way into the spectrum and the spectrum gets richer and richer and richer so we still have just about all those other media forms the telegram the telegram i think has died um but we just about have every other media form that's been invented and they just have a they just have their niche where they do it really really well their particular thing and then there's beside them is the next media form that does something else really really well so i can't see print really um 
being irrelevant. You know, like if, if you look at Star Trek and they, they're talking to the computer and the computer's giving them answers, but sometimes they look at their little tablets and there's a whole bunch of print on there they're scanning through, you know, and uh, um, print is a, is a very effective way to package information. And so if, if we're still going to have text and print, then I think we're still going to have something like white papers. No, we could talk about the future of white papers. I think they're going to evolve and continue to evolve, but they're not, they're not going to die. Um, I, and you know what? The other way I look at this, Ed, uh, is um, even if they do die and somebody like me has no business. My business completely dries up for doing white papers and like my phone is not ringing and I'm getting no emails. I've still gained some really, really valuable skills by doing so many white papers. And if any other writer kind of goes into white papers um, and learns about them and uh, becomes good at writing white papers, that's a transportable, transferable skill that they will be able to redirect to whatever other media form comes up later, you know, because... Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I would add something, Gordon. I think you get into an argument of the medium versus um, uh, the, the message, right? Because, yeah. And I think yeah. this is what you're also driving at is, okay, so what if at some point there's no such thing as a white paper, it's something else? There's still going to be a need to justify an expensive purchase. This is never ended in, in business history. Somebody always has to answer to somebody else, assuming it's a decent sized business. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. just the owner mm -hmm. making all the decisions. You have to justify this, this million dollar purchase. So whether it's a white paper that's gonna help you do that or some other form of, of document or item uh, or content, um, there still has to be something in that category that a, a potential buyer can use. Let's talk about, because um, you mentioned some of the industries that use white papers, but let's talk about the industries that represent the hottest uh, markets for white paper writers. Sure. Um, they they come out of the technology world. So really any company that is... Uh, um, in technology, hardware, software, gear, medical devices, um, even parts or assemblies, even cars these days, you know, have a lot of electronics in them. So any any kind of industry like that is um, is already going to be using uh, white papers. And just as a little aside, I wanted to I wanted to mention something that uh, that writers often ask me. Uh, um, sometimes established copywriters say, oh, "Okay, I'm really sold on this idea of writing white papers now. Now, how can I how can I how can I convince my clients that they should be doing white papers?" And I say, "Like, don't bother. You know, don't bother trying to push some company into doing white papers. Just look for one that's already doing it." Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if they haven't already heard of these and thought of these, they're they're probably not going to. Uh, um, a few a few words from you may not be enough to convince them. It's much easier just to to go to a company in your industry in your specialty that already recognizes the need for them and maybe hasn't done one lately or hasn't done a very good one. Um, I actually have in my book a table. Oh, this will probably interest your your listeners. I've got a table where I uh, I had researched this a few years ago, but then I uh, I looked at it again. So I look went through these uh, NAISC codes, North American Industry Standard uh, codes, right? And for the entire 
uh, economy. And uh, I grouped them under, under three main types of companies. So there's any kind of equipment manufacturer, anybody making any kind of machine or equipment or gear. And uh, then uh, that's one sort of big domain. And then I've got a ton of codes uh, that people could look up for what uh, for those different specialties. And there's over 60,000 companies like that in the US. Then any company that's providing any kind of scientific or technical service. So this could be uh, um, testing or um, uh, ISO or any kind of consultant or any kind of measuring company or anybody doing any kind of any kind of science as a service. Um, there's labs that test uh, pharmaceutical products, all kinds of stuff like that. So there's some there's uh, some codes for that. There's over three hundred and fifty thousand companies like that in the states. Wow. <laughs> Now, admittedly, they're smaller um, probably than the big equipment companies, but still, the, you could start at the top, and the top ones are going to be uh, going to be huge. So, for instance, what would be the top one? Underwriters Laboratories, you know, is probably the the biggest one in that category, and uh, for sure, they have a lot of uh, a lot of white papers that they're putting out to explain when they come out with a new um, a new uh, code. They've got to explain that to people. That's a serious, serious thing that they have to explain. So then the, the third classic category, software and information providers. And um, in here, I include not only just software companies, but also information providers is a category that's becoming broader and broader. And really, I've had inquiries from... Uh, from cable companies and lots of people making video uh, codecs, uh, compressors and decompressors, uh, lots of people in the media business are putting out uh, are putting out white papers because that's again a very a very technically driven um, business uh, that's changing really fast. There's over 26,000 of those. So potential white paper clients in the U.S. alone is over 450,000. Um, now, I've, I've also had clients from other countries, from Australia, Canada, of course, Finland, uh, the U.K. Um, so I added in uh, a prorated amount of companies from Australia, Canada, Finland, Ireland, Israel, New Zealand, Norway, and the U.K., because all of those companies do uh, business, uh, all those countries do business primarily in English, and they're trying to sell to the English-speaking uh, market in mostly the U.S. Right. So, I've looked at the um, the figures from the U.N. about the GDP of those company of those countries and stuff, and I took an estimate that about um, I could say that about one third of all the uh, uh, no, I could say that the the world market, uh, the U.S. market, is about um, three times the size of the rest of, of the market in these other countries. So I added in a 35%. So the, the, if you can follow those numbers, the bottom line is the total potential clients for white papers in the English-speaking world is over 600,000 companies. No and shortage. So this is, yeah, yeah. So that's why people sometimes ask me, aren't you afraid you're just creating your own competition? I go, there is like such an overwhelming need for uh, these documents to be written, you know, and even if out of that 600, we could cut it in half. So say 300 of them are not doing them yet or are never going to do them or are too small or too uh, backward looking. Okay, you've still got 300,000 companies in the world that could uh, use a white paper. Even if you cut it in, in you know, down to 20%, you've still got uh, over 100,000 companies. That's a that's a big market, you know, a big underserved market. 
that is a huge market. And I guess, you know, maybe to sum it up, this is what I've, you, you, you kind of clarified what I was thinking already in terms of the, the hot markets, which is basically anything, anything that needs to be explained. So if it's something yeah. that's just so commonplace that, you know, it's a widget. A widget is a widget is a widget. You don't need to write a white paper to explain why you, your approach to widgets are, is different or better. Uh, so if it's something that needs to be explained to the target market that you're selling to, that is a potential market for uh, a white paper, correct? I mean, if, if we were to sum yep. it up. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And and you can look at the life cycle of, of different technologies, you know. So say one, one example I use is uh, lasers. Remember, there's a one of the early James Bond movies. He's being menaced. I think it was Goldfinger. He's being menaced by a laser, and uh, and the uh, the bad guy is I think Goldfinger is the bad guy. He 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 goes on this long spiel explaining to uh, to James Bond what a laser is and how it could cut him in two and how how it could vaporize metal. And this is uh, in the 60s, you know. And I think the first industrial. Uh, lasers were used uh, just after that movie in 1965 or so. So you can bet they cost a fortune and they had a lot of explaining to do to, uh, with those things. Nowadays, you can go buy a little laser at your corner store, you know, and then I've got one I, I use uh, to play with my cats, you know, like in, I think it was $10 or something. So you don't need a white paper any longer to explain what a laser is. What happens is is new, innovative, expensive, high-end gear tends to get repackaged a simpler, uh, less expensive, more of a commodity item, and and over over several decades that will happen, and it happens in software as well. So uh, I had a, a customer who wanted me to to write a white paper about how to pick an ERP system, enterprise resource planning. I told him that that topic is dead. It's old hat. You can Google, uh, you know, how to pick an ERP system, and you get something like seven million hits. ERP emerged uh, in the uh, end of the 80s as a as a replacement for the older um, MRP systems, and they're, and they're basically big accounting systems to let you uh, um, keep track of everything that's going on in your company, and especially in a manufacturing company. So, in the in the early 90s, uh, there were white papers about how to pick an ERP system and what is ERP and what does ERP mean to your company. And in our era now, 20 years later, there is no need for a basic white paper about ERP or how to pick an ERP system or white disease. They're on to the next genre now where they're writing a... Uh, writing about uh, online versions of this and how to pick an online version of, a, of an ERP system. And even that's about five years uh, old. So technology tends to be repackaged as a commodity. And that's the thing to uh, that makes this field so interesting is you get to write about the latest and the greatest stuff, the newest stuff. So as far as um, as far as keeping uh, keeping people interested, I, f I find this is fascinating. Every day I'm learning about something, uh, something new that most people haven't heard of, you know. And, and I do want to emphasize, though, because we know a lot of the examples you and I have been talking about are technology related. Uh, they don't have to be technology related. Mm. That's one. I think that's one of the most yeah. common misconceptions, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, you have to be a technical yeah. person because you're going to be writing about technology. Not so. Uh, I've written white papers yep. about professional services. You know, it's just a yep. different way that this particular company approaches this service and yeah. the way they deliver it. I mean, it could be a million different things, but it has to be explained because, again, they're doing it or approaching it differently. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really good point, you know, and, there, and I, I wanted 
tell people I never studied. I'm not an engineer. I studied. I'm an arts bomb. I studied English and philosophy and, and creative writing. You know, and so if I can pick this stuff up, I think uh, most people can. Um, that. Uh, Having to explain something uh, complicated is a really good point. And then the the other two points are something new, because say my example of lasers. Now you can just you can just Google uh, uh, Wikipedia and find out more than you ever want to know about lasers. I mean the the information is out there. But when something is new and and innovative, and maybe one company is the only one that's thought of this uh, approach to something. There's no other way to research it. Uh, my other example, ERP, there's forums now, there's users groups, there's whole books about it, there's probably a dummy's guide to ERP. You know, there's lots of ways to find information. But when something is new, y you can Google and come up w empty, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's when a company has to explain what they're talking about, their different uh, twist, their different approach. And you're quite right that that can be a service company. It can be any company driven by innovation and new ideas, any company with a, a new way to do something. But it's also got to be a fairly high end. It's got to be expensive, right? Because these documents um, don't come cheap. Oh, and we'll probably get into talking about how much you can uh, you can charge as a writer for them. But uh, um, for a company to invest, say, five or $10,000 in a white paper, they got to be selling something that costs at least uh, $50,000, probably 100000 probably 150000 um, some kind of system or service or uh, engagement or offering or methodology or approach to solving some problem that's that's really it's best if they're up there in the hundreds of thousands of dollars you know um, um, but then there's another there's a sort of light version of white papers that I call special reports you know that uh, small small businesses and local businesses can use the same kind of approach as in a white paper um, and of course they'll be much less ambitious and of course writers can't charge as much some but the the wonderful special report is is sort of the light end of this uh, of this format that's still marketing with content it's still doing the very same thing but it's uh, I think I think a fun example that that our uh, buddy Steve Slonwright uses is uh, you know eight things you must know about your plumbing or eight jobs you can do yourself as a home uh, a home repairman and four things you must call a plumber for you know mm -hmm. so um, if and if you if you um, Google uh, say you're looking for your local plumber and you Google you Google and you get a bunch of lists and and uh, you know you got Joe's plumber and uh, Jake's plumber and John's plumber and then you got uh, you got Ed's plumber, and Ed's got a, a special report about uh, here's uh, eight jobs that you should be able to do yourself and the tools you need for them, and here's four jobs not to touch with a 10-foot pole because you're going to flood your basement, you know. Like, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to be more engaged with? You know, the guy who gave you some help and some guidance and some information or the guys who are just out there selling? And this is another really important principle of, of uh, marketing with content in general, but white papers certainly uh, are a prime example of this, is your goal as a company, the, uh, the, the writer's client, the vendor who's sponsoring the, the white papers, their goal is to position themselves as a trusted advisor someone who can help their prospects solve problems and discuss uh, the things they're up against without always just be selling, 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 selling. You know, they're giving you some, some hopefully really useful, practical uh, help. And so that, the goal is that that elevates them above 
the run-of-the-mill vendors who's just out there selling all the time you mm-hmm. know makes a big difference huge difference yeah yeah um, so all right so let, let's let's kind of move into the as far as uh, the uh, the writing business the, the business aspect of this in terms mm-hmm. of what you can what you can earn what you can expect and then i know we'll we'll have to continue the discussion in uh, part two of, of of this podcast but uh, let's talk about how much you can charge for a white paper can you really make a good living just writing white papers that's what you wanted mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. well i think the i think the answer to the, your second question is absolutely i mean i've been focused on white papers gee for seven or eight years now you know and they're and they're not everything i do but um i i find that i'm i find that i'm doing more and more just white papers and less and less of anything else um i also write case studies because case studies are also very factual and uh um fit right along beside uh white papers and the marketing with content kind of uh spectrum but i'd say i just checked the other day so far this year i'm 80 percent white papers and 20 percent other and 20 percent covers also uh giving a workshop here or there but um I, I did some research uh, about the current fees for writing uh, for writing white papers, and these are for this is for a classic six to eight page white paper, seven to ten pages with the uh, the cover and the front matter and the back matter. Um, some interviews that I had done with the uh, content networks like Knowledge Storm and Tech Target uh, was. Uh, they said white papers range from a low of 3,000 to a high of 5,000. Um, that gives an average of 4,000. Uh, there was a, a, a big survey of about 600 white paper writers taken a few years ago by uh, Mike Stelzner and the White Paper Source. They range from a low of seven of 2,000 to a high of 10,000 uh, plus, so for an average of around 3,300. The uh, American writers and artists that uh, Ed and I are both uh, um, involved with, did a little survey, or at least uh, polled a few uh, of our uh, B2B copywriting uh, um, colleagues. And their estimates were a low from a low of 2,500 to a high of 6,500. And then Writer's Market for 2012 said a low of 2,500 to a high of 10,000. So, you know, we've got lows here. Uh, the starting point for white paper, 3,000, 2,000, 2,500, and 2,500. Basically, um, if you're in the developed world, you shouldn't be quoting less than that for uh, less than $2,000 for a white paper. The highs go up to $10,000 or more. And I, I want to tell you quite um, honestly, uh, I'm working on a project right now where I bid 9750 and uh, it was for a white paper plus a couple of blog posts that are spun out of the white paper, which will really take me about half an hour each to do or something. Don't tell my client that, but this is another case of uh, where people can't write, you know. So um, any writer could take an, could take a white paper and break out a, a blog post in just a few minutes, you know. But for some business people, that's a that's a would take them all day or two days to do that because they're just not it's just not their specialty, you know. So. I've personally almost hit the $10,000 uh, mark. And uh, if you look at the averages, I've got a table here. I'm looking at the averages of all of these uh, sources, these four sources. It was uh, $4,200. Um, so that would be kind of the average going rate for uh, what people would expect to pay for a white paper. Now, you'll get people that, uh, you know, want to get it for less. 
But um, when I bid my 9750, the client came back and said, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we were expecting. Mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Wow. That's so, yeah, the, 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 these are, these are high dollar projects. And, and I'm wondering, cause you mentioned uh, front cover, back cover, you're deliverable as a writer. Uh, is it content only in a word document or content design? What, you know, what's included? Well, I, I would say that the, uh, the bigger the company you work for, the more likely that they're going to have an in-house designer or a, a little team of uh, freelance designers that they always, uh, they always work with. So the, the bigger the company, the more likely you're going to deliver text only. And, and that's fine. Um, but you, you have to um, think more visually as you write and you have to you know, probably break it up with a few little sidebars and maybe suggest some pull quotes and put in some subheads. You still have to think that way and, and kind of break it out on the page a little bit like that. And uh, I, usually, I usually write up the table of contents and the, uh, the copyright notice and all that stuff. And about the company, I usually paste that stuff in from the web and the contact information. I usually give them a little word version of the whole document with page breaks in it so to help them visualize even though it isn't designed up yet. And uh, um, I want to leave lots of white space in there too so they don't think they can cram out too many words on there. For a smaller company, they may say, can you just give me the whole thing? So this is where it's good for a, a white paper writer to have an alliance with, uh, with a designer or two who are good at doing editorial design, who know how to uh, put put together a nice uh, looking white paper. And um, there's all, just as there are different types of writers, there's different types of designers. And you really wanna, you really wanna find a designer who has done say magazine design or, uh, you know, page newsletter design, maybe some book design, not so much advertising or website design. That's kind of a different specialty. You want somebody who's, who's used to designing text to be read and uh, won't just pour the text in as a clump. Um, sometimes I've had white papers ruined by designers who just, I guess they think white papers are supposed to be so serious, they're supposed to look terrible or, or look, look serious or something, but sometimes they'll just pour the text in with a half an inch margin on all around the page, and it's absolutely unreadable. <laughs> so, yeah, and, uh, I've it's, seen it's those. Those are bad. Yeah, it's it's disheartening, eh? You work so hard on the on the words, and then the uh, designer can really undermine it. So uh, you want you want to offer to proofread the uh, the uh, final design, and to um, if you're working, you you want to check that the designers have done some white papers before. There's there often in big companies there's uh, corporate standard templates um, for doing all their documents, and they may not be appropriate for a white paper. So you may, you know, you may have to push a little bit to to get the result that's going to uh, be easy to read. Mm -hmm. In terms of working with a designer, what do you think is best? Do you think it's best to bring them in under your company and then just mark up their services and build a client directly or have the client work directly with them? Well, if your question is, is it better to work with your, my designer or their designer, I'd say my designer for sure. Because, no, this, uh, but, but this would be if, if you bring in your own designer for a smaller company. Would it be better uh -huh. for for you to deliver one one deliverable and, and build a client for everything, or have yeah. your designer work with them? I find that um, the smaller the company, the less paperwork they want to go through, right? The less uh, overhead they want. So they'd sooner have one invoice than two invoices, you know. So you can just put it together and and mark up the designer or not as you as you wish. And I usually say a thousand dollars for design and and nice graphics and. Uh, 
my designers can often bring it in for less than that. But if 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 you start saying you you can do it for six hundred, and then there's a whole bunch of tables or or a gra uh, some kind of graphic that needs to be redone, then that adds a few more hundred. So if you I use the ballpark of about a thousand dollars, we'll cover we'll cover pretty much any any uh, white paper of that length, you know. All right, so so let's talk about um, in terms of someone who's wondering if this is the kind of project for for them, you know, and their their skill set. What makes a good white paper writer, in your opinion? You know, I've been thinking about this more and more lately, and I would I would say that <clears throat> the number one um, the person that's best prepared to write white papers is a former journalist. You know, there are. And and there are thousands and thousands of of journalists that have been laid off, and they're and they're kicking around, wondering what to do next, and they're depressed and morose. My God, they've got good they've got good uh, skills already. You know, like they know how to interview people, they know how to research, they know how to separate, find find the uh, you know um, needle in the haystack of a bunch of research. They uh, they know how to tell a story, they know how to write quickly, and and most of all, the thing that I that I find is the is the toughest skill for other types of writers to pick up is this idea of handling quotes and sources and uh, um, you know weaving weaving the proof points um, gracefully into the text. You know, uh, copywriters have a lot of uh, have a lot of existing uh, skills, but one of the things that copywriters are uh, not so used to doing is is uh, handling quotes and sources and proving the, the claims in the piece and and kind of writing to explain you know they're they're good at doing research and understanding the motivation of the buyers and and maybe doing interviews and writing to persuade they're great at writing to persuade um, but they may need to a copywriter may need to uh, work on writing to explain and most of all handling these proof points and and uh, inserting them um, gracefully uh, you know other people that are often other types of writers that are often asked to uh, do white papers are, are technical writers working in uh, software companies or hardware companies or equipment manufacturers or medical device companies and they're already they're already good at interviewing and writing to explain and uh, they're already good at formatting their documents so people can uh, can uh, scan them easily but um, where they've been, uh, and I worked as a technical writer for for six years full time, and and uh, years uh, after that as a contractor. Uh, technical writers just get thumped uh, for having any kind of style or any kind of um, uh, any kind of writing flair. Your job as a technical writer is really just get the information out there, just the facts, you know. And as far as any kind of persuasive or uh, um, rhetorical writing that is that is just uh, um, pounded out of you. So technical writers really need to stretch their wings and uh, and break through those constraints and and be a little more uh, lyrical, you know, really, and be a little more uh, rhetorical and and persuasive. So uh, those are the three kind of paths that I see most often that pe people writing white papers have come from. Either they've been doing copywriting. Uh, they've been a journalist or they've been a technical writer. And, and of, of course, some people can just start from scratch and uh, jump right into uh, writing white papers. But in, in that case, I would say it's, it's um, these are advanced, challenging projects, you know, and, uh, and we talk about, oh, yes, you can charge $4,000 average. But you can't charge $4,000 the very first one you write, you know, and when you have no copywriting experience or no track record. Nobody wants to let 
let you, uh, nobody wants to be your guinea pig, you know, or your learning experience or uh, to have you as your intern. Remember, they're doing white papers because they've got a, they've got a big product that they need to sell, you know, and uh, they may have some kind of editorial calendar. They need to get a white paper out. They've already reserved some space. The last one that I uh, just finished this week, um, they've already booked, uh, they've already booked uh, ads in two uh, industry trade journals and they've got their emails all written and all set to go. They've got uh, um, a meeting coming up with all of their uh, distributors. You know, they've got events pegged in real time where they need this document to be uh, deliverable. So they don't want to risk, you know, they don't want to risk uh, going with somebody who they aren't sure is going to uh, is going to deliver. So um, I'd say the, the hardest hurdle of all is to come into copywriting and say, okay, I haven't done much writing. I haven't run my own um, copywriting business. Uh, I want to do white papers. But and I'm just going to jump in and start. That's that's tough. And but I I have something to advise there. I would say start with case studies. Start with case studies because they're the same type of uh, they're in the same kind of domain. They're factual. The same companies um, that use white papers often need case studies. They're shorter and easier to do. They get you lots of experience in uh, interviewing and in weaving uh, together a story out of quotes. And you can you can charge a thousand or fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred for a for a case study, and they're only they're usually only a couple of uh, interviews. So um, I, I would say um, that's kind of the way I I just without any big plan. I had written all these magazine articles um, before as a as a freelance uh, magazine writer, and that kind of gave me really good a really good foundation to build on when it came to writing white papers because I already knew how to tell a story uh, studded with quotes and facts and statistics and stuff. You know, you know what I mean? Yo, absolutely. In fact, that actually leads to, to my last question, which was if you don't have any white paper samples, you know, this traditional chicken and egg scenario, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. what do you do? You know, how do you get started if you have nothing to show, but you know, you'll never have something to show if you can't get started? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, um, I think you can get started as a copywriter doing case studies uh, fairly, uh, fairly easily. And uh, another, another thing to do is do is write your a white paper for yourself. Write a white paper for practice, or write a white paper uh, as a so-called buzz piece to build your own business, and uh, about some topic that you feel um, quite passionate about. And then uh, use that as a learning experience uh, to to dig out the proof and to uh, tell a convincing story and to have a beginning and a middle and an end and a, and a call to action. And then use that as a sample, something that you do uh, to build your own business. There's another idea is to do one for uh, some kind of nonprofit or, uh, or do one for extremely low uh, cost for uh, some kind of local business and still you, before you break on the national scene. Um, it's tough, you know, uh, for the reason that, uh, that, Nobody wants to think that they're your first uh, your first client. But another another you know reasonable thing to do is is just start small and work your way up. You know, um, start with smaller companies that that don't have the same expectations as as somebody like Google. You know, um, but I, but uh, on the other side, I, I want to tell you a little story which uh, should be kind of encouraging. You know, um, I've been fortunate that I've been uh, I I was uh, I've been number one in Google for white paper writer. Um, for you know several years now and I was number one for case study writer for uh, uh, quite a few years too and uh, a marketing person at Google in New York um, 
Googled case study writer and they found me and they contacted me. And the first time we ever talked, uh, she said, you know, uh, yeah, I'm here with Google in New York. And, uh, you know, we have, have a really hard time finding copywriters. And I, I, I had to put my hands over my mouth so I wouldn't laugh out loud. I was like, New York? New York City? You cannot swing a cat in New York City and not uh, scratch a writer. I mean, it's crawling with writers. And they couldn't find a good one. So what does that really mean? It means that she couldn't find a reliable writer who would take the trouble to understand their technology, who could, who could deal with the, uh, the new innovative ideas that they were talking about, who could, who could research, find proofs, uh, interview people, and write up a compelling story. And they had gone through, um, oh, and not be a prima donna to work with. You mm -hmm. know, they had, they had burned through a few writers who had just been too difficult for them to work with. No, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Eh? Can you imagine writing for Google and being a, a pr prima donna and starting to tell them how they were going to do things <laughs> and uh, and no, you're not going to do this and no, you're not going to do that. I mean, um, it's one of the coolest uh, companies in the world. And the people that I have interviewed there have been so smart, you know, smart as a whip. And, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a quite the uh, interesting experience writing for them. And uh, I think that one of the things you can do is if uh, throughout your, your writing um, career is be, be easy to deal with, you know, oh, be yes. a nice person. That's easy to deal with. It's so basic, but really, if you're grumpy, don't take it out in your client. If they ask you to do a little bit more, don't complain and start nickel and diming them. You know, um, be be easy and fun to work with. Laugh a bit. You know, I love laughing and, and telling jokes with my clients, and I send them pictures of my kids, and they send uh, or my kid, and they send me pictures of their kids. I mean, be a be a genuine person, and you can do that no matter how much of a portfolio you have or don't have so you know be a be a fresh face on the scene that's that's fun to work with and that that's that has an amazing difference well you know it's very very good you said this gordon about the whole issue of, of google not being able to find good reliable writers because i, I keep telling people this other writers mm -hmm. uh, who are starting mm -hmm. out and they don't believe me and yeah. the only yeah. explanation, the only analogy I've been able to give them is think about a, a remodeling contractor. If you've ever done any work to your kitchen, to your bathroom, anywhere in your house, you know how difficult it is to find a very reliable contractor to get that work mm -hmm. done. Now, mm -hmm. you could go to your yellow pages, your phone book, you could go right in, in, to any directory and find a million of them. You can Google for a remodeling contractor in your area and find a million of them. That's not the issue. The issue is someone who's low risk, you can trust, is reasonable, easy to work with, and can get the job done quickly so you can actually have a usable kitchen in a few days and you know not be destroyed for, for a month. Um, yeah. it, to yep. me, it's the same yep. issue. And it's not, there's a big disconnect. It's not that there's no writers, and it's not that there's no demand. There's a lot of demand, and there are a lot of writers. But they're not really sure where to go to find mm -hmm. these these writers and that's why you know you, i'm glad you mentioned google because this is an excellent example of why sometimes you need to go outside of your comfort zone and approach companies that maybe you think well they i'm sure they have somebody well maybe not you'd be surprised yeah 
Yeah, I um, I want to build on that uh, comment, Ed. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this because uh, really, uh, I've done this. I've been a vice president of marketing, and uh, what I realized at that at that level, and I, I've talked about this with other uh, other people too. Part of your job is to have in your drawer some resources that you can call up to have some names and numbers and resumes of people that you can call up when you need them. You may have your little stable of you know your your favorite writer and your favorite designer. But what happens if one of them gets sick or goes on a trip or, you know, gets pregnant or th their parents uh, fall down and break their uh, hip or something? I mean, everybody, not everybody is uh, available all the time or they get overbooked and you have a last minute thing that you need and uh, they're not there. The job of all executives is to, is to build a network that they can call on that can cover them. Uh, for any for any um, sort of unforeseen circumstances. So if you contact a marketing executive and you say, "I'm a white paper writer," um, uh, thought that we should uh, thought that we should uh, be in contact. And if you ever need any help, I'm out there. They're not going to say, "Oh, buzz off and get out of here." I, I, you know, I don't need you. I don't need to talk to you. Uh, why are you bothering me? No way. I, I've have you ever had that reaction, Ed? Have you no, ever had anybody? never. <laughs> no, never, ever. They say, "Gee, it's it's good we're talking." Great advice, Gordon. Yeah, and this is this is so true. It's humanizing uh, the experience. It's humanizing yourself. And I say, staying top of mind because we all assume, right, that clients and prospects are thinking about us all the time. You know, people we've been in touch with, even done a lot of work for before. But many times they're so busy and they're so scattered that they forget, and it's just. If you do this consistently, you increase the chances of getting a hold of them at the time when they're going to need something, either right there or soon. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've had that same experience. So that's that's very, very good advice. And, you know, I, I want to and we're going to do a, a part two where we're going to get into the, the different flavors of white papers and all that. But before we do that, to end here, I, I want you to tell me a little bit about your books. I'm really excited about this, and I'm, you know, this is, this is exactly the kind of book I wish I would have had when I was starting out with white papers. And I'm actually kind of jealous for anyone who's picking it up right now and is just embarking on this career, because they're going to be better equipped, many times better equipped uh, than I was back when I started. So well, tell us a little uh, bit about it. Gee, uh, you know, it's kind of the book I wish I'd had too. You know, and if we go back to what you were saying about you were uh, you were stalking me and and looking at everything uh, that I was uh, coming up with, I did my first white paper in 1997, and I looked around. I looked around for uh, um, you know, the web existed then. There was no Google then, but I, I did look around as hard as I could for what is a white paper? How do you write them? What are the best practices? There was next to nothing, and there was a in the, over the next few years, um, a couple of books came out. There were these books for $99 that you could buy, you know, PDFs of. I bought them both. I bought them, you know, I paid 99 bucks for these things. And they were, they were okay, you know, really. But there was a couple of articles on the web, how to write a white paper. And that was really it. And so I was able to, to read every single scrap that had been published up to then about how to write white papers, you know, and now of course it's, it's pretty hard to keep up with, but, uh, cause there's, uh, lots of blogs and lots of resources and lots of LinkedIn groups and it's stuff. But I tried to, um, in the, in my book, white papers for dummies, I tried to really sum up everything I've learned in the past 15 years of writing white papers. So I really crammed in as many, uh, as many tips and as many best practices as, and as many kind of uh, definitions and distinctions as I, as I could. So, 
it's got uh, it starts off with a, a chapter for marketing people. Then there's a chapter for uh, um, business people or uh, writers that talks about the opportunity and has some of these numbers that we've talked about in this call. Then there's a chapter about the the past, present, and future, four possible future directions for white papers. And and then there's uh, um, my description of the three uh, flavors and how to use them and uh, a, tw a whole twelve step process for uh, for organizing managing a, a white paper project. And then lots of tips about doing research. Uh, uh, writing and promoting a white paper, and then there's those um, those uh, top ten tip lists at the end. So it's 384 pages. I believe it's the most uh, comprehensive book about white papers that's ever been published. It's it's the longest, you know, and it's it's crammed as best I could. And I had a very good editor who really kept me on track. So it's uh, I, I hope that people will find that it's really really uh, solid and packed with good advice. You know. Oh, I know they will, and I will tell you, it's you, you're it's not only uh, comprehensive, but I found to be extremely well organized which is kind of what you need for this book to work well for you as a writer because you, you want to read it you want to grab the information you want to absorb it but you also need it to become a reference and what I found with other books that are you know cover similar topics they're a great read but they're not a very good reference because finding the information you need later is very difficult and this book the way you organize it I love the way that you laid it out and everything is so uh, logical and easy to find plus all the tables and everything you included in there makes it very easy to, to become a reference manual. So, great, great. Great stuff. And guys, that's available, White Paper for Dummies, Amazon, uh, online, of course, bookstores everywhere. So go check it out. Um, believe me, if, if you're serious about doing this, if you're write, write, writing white papers today, uh, this is this really belongs in your bookshelf. So, uh, Gordon, it's, it was great to have you, and we'll be back here uh, very soon with part two of this podcast where we'll talk about the three flavors of white papers. We'll talk about how you approach white papers, the whole process in a, in a nutshell. Um, and uh, so some really good detailed information coming up, guys, so stay tuned for that. So, again, Gordon, thanks so much for, for coming in today. My pleasure. It was a great, uh, great conversation, Ed. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.